Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we talk about who's coming to the Amazon Synod. Then we'll talk about an interesting meeting that the German bishops are planning with lay people. They're calling it a synodal journey. Finally, we'll touch on the Pope's address to the United Nations Climate Action Summit. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny Rome again, Colleen. We had rain and thunderstorms here yesterday, but we're back with the sunshine, at least for today. <laughs> um, so let's talk about our first story, which is that the list of people who have been invited to participate in the Amazon Senate just came out. And I thought it was interesting. The biggest group that will be there is every bishop of every diocese in the Amazon region. So before we get into, you know, who all's coming, uh, who these bishops are, I want to ask you, um, who decides who goes to a synod? Well, obviously, it's the council of the synod. Uh, At the end of each synod, uh, a group is elected as a council. There's a secretariat in Rome, which is headed by Cardinal Baldessari, but there's also a council. I think the Latin Americans themselves had a lot to do with this. Oh, how do you mean? Well, it's a synod that's relating to nine countries specifically, which have the Amazon in in their territory. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's obvious that each of these dioceses, in one way or another, has an interest in what's happening. And I think it was very sensible to invite all the bishops from the nine countries to come. And they make up the majority of the participants. The 185 members of the Senate, that's people who vote. And uh, not alone are the old bishops, but uh, a lot of them are members of religious orders. There are 102 members of religious congregations represented. I want to ask you more specifically about several of those people in a minute. Um, but first, I wanted to ask you about, you know, this big group of bishops from the region. Um, is there a precedent for something like this where where they invite, you know, so many people who are touching on the issue in a synod? Yes. In the past, we've had continental synods. We've had a synod on Asia, a synod on Africa, a synod on the Americas, a synod on Europe. So it, it, it's, and there the majority have come from those regions. These are the people who are more interested. They're the ones who know the issues. They're the ones who know the problems. They're the ones who are running the churches in the different areas. Got it. Um, There will also be three Americans at the Synod. We have Cardinal Kevin Farrell, who heads the Vatican's Office for Laity and Family Life. And we also have Cardinal Sean O'Malley of Boston and Bishop Robert McElroy of San Diego. Jerry, um, Cardinal Farrell works in the Vatican, but why do you think that Cardinal O'Malley and Bishop McElroy were invited? Well, Cardinal Farrell and Cardinal O'Malley were invited, one, because he's head of a Vatican department, Cardinal Farrell, O'Malley because he is a member of the Pope's Council of Cardinal Advisors. The one who is different from these is uh, Bishop Robert McElroy from Santiago. And he has been very quite vocal, very articulate, 
uh, very well versed in this whole subject. And obviously this has come to the notice of the Pope because the Pope appointed him. When you say this subject, do you mean like the environment? On the environment, yes, yes. On the question of the climate change, on the, in the encyclical Laudato Si, which the Pope published in 2015 and which was really a groundbreaking document in terms of the church's history. Right. I remember there were a lot of big projects right after Laudato Si came out. Like in that first year, the San Diego Diocese did, did a bunch. They started doing solar power and things like that. So Bishop McElroy is really somebody who uh, whose opinion the Pope values a lot when it comes to these things because he, he really knows his stuff. Yes. I mean, he, he, he's been, let's put it this way, he's been noticed in Rome for the articulate and measured contributions, very rich ones that he has made. For example, uh, after the Synod of the Family, he had a Synod in, in, in his diocese. Then more recently, after the Pope issued the document, uh, You Are the Light of the World, uh, on the abuse question, he brought together all the, not just the priests, but all the workers in the in the different offices of the of the diocese to discuss how this document should be implemented in their diocese. Right. He's really taking these uh, Francis initiatives and kind of applying them on a local level. Aside from the bishops at this uh, synod, there will also be a number of lay people invited. And we'll get into who they are in a second. But I'm wondering, um, since these lay people won't be voting members of the synod, what is their role? Are they making speeches? Are they just listening in? Uh, what do they do there? Well, they, first of all, they all participate in the plenary sessions, and uh, usually they're given the possibility to speak. Secondly, I think the key work, the real crucial work of the Synod takes place in the small groups, and they are full members of the small groups. These are like discussion groups? These are discussion working groups in linguistic uh, uh, I don't know how it will work out this time. There will be obviously Spanish and Portuguese, but maybe there will also be some English or Italian groups. I, I, I don't quite know. We haven't seen the list. Mm -hmm. But the, the, in, the working groups are small working groups where the discussion, real discussion takes place. And in these groups, the proposals or recommendations to the synod come forward. So the, the, the fact of being in the groups and working in the groups is an important area for influencing what goes into that final proposal. So let's talk about who some of these prominent guests are. I know that uh, Ban Ki-moon, who is the former Secretary General of the United Nations, has been invited, as well as a number of international experts on climate change. So I'm wondering, Jerry, what does this list of experts and lay people tell us about the priorities of the organizers? What kinds of people did they want to be present? Well, remember, Ban Ki-moon was the one, the Secretary General of the United Nations, when they had the the, the real big United Nations discussions around the world climaxing in the conference in Paris, which took very important decisions on trying to deal with climate change, trying to stop or keep the rise in temperatures in the, across the globe at a level, at a certain level. Uh, mm -hmm. And so his presence is... is is, is uh, I think significant, and it's uh, it came as a surprise, but it's it's quite significant. Then you have, of course, uh, people like Jeffrey Sachs again, who is an important figure. 
Who is Jeffrey Sachs? Because uh, it's been mentioned that he's somebody that the Pope has gone to a few times now for expertise on this. Well, Jeffrey Sachs has participated in many meetings in the Vatican organized by the Academy for Social Sciences. He's a professor of sustainable development at the Columbia University. He's one of the experts in the field. He's recognized as one of the experts. He's played a big role with the United Nations. He worked close to um, Ban Ki-moon when they were preparing for the Paris Conference. Um, I want to ask you about another notable expert on this list who our listeners might not know of, Josiane Gauthier, the Secretary General of the International Catholic Alliance of Agencies of Development. Jerry, can you tell me a little bit about Ms. Gauthier and this uh, this agency that she works for? Yes, yeah, she, she was born in Quebec. Her parents were actually came from the United States, but they moved to Canada during the time of the Vietnam War. Uh, they were activists, social activists themselves. She's a social activist who blends social activism with religion. And she's been uh, the CIDSE is a international cooperation for development and uh, solidarity and in, in the whole question of social justice field. Right. It's a group of all Catholic uh, organizations specifically, right? All Catholic. There are 18. It's an umbrella organization. And she worked for one of the umbrella organizations in Canada on development and peace. Right. Ms. Gauthier has been involved in a lot of the uh, social justice struggles, especially in the global south, things connected to mining and all of the issues that come along with that, like environmental degradation and political instability and corruption. So, yeah, these experts who they're bringing in, I mean, they have a lot of like field specific, uh, situation specific expertise when it comes to the Amazon region, especially. So I'm wondering, Jerry, what does this list of experts and lay people tell us about the priorities of the organizers? What kinds of people did they want to be present? Those who are participating here are people who know the subject. You, you, you haven't got people who are ignorant of the realities. You have got, uh, very interesting, you've got among the 80 experts and auditors, there are 20 women religious and 13 lay women. Uh, My friend, Father Luke Hansen, who will work with me, we will work together on reporting the Synod for America. He has put done a very interesting analysis of this which we will obviously at some stage publish. Yeah, I I really look forward to reading that analysis from Luke. This question about women's roles in a synods of bishops is something that's been really interesting to me, especially in the last synod when I started looking at it. Um, And especially this question of, you know, whether or not they should be able to vote in synods was was a big issue the last time around. Um, And I know that one step that's been proposed is inviting representatives from the group of superiors general of women's religious orders to participate in synods. But it looks like this time around, there were only still representatives from the men's orders who are invited. Um, And all the women who are invited are there as like experts who are, you know, not not voting members. So, Jerry, I'm wondering, you know, has anything changed on the inclusion of women since last synod? Are we seeing more? Are we seeing a different role for them? Or is it mostly the same? Well, my understanding is that the International Union of Superiors General of the Women's Orders, mm-hmm. they, they elected members, but they are not in the voting block. They are in the experts and auditors. The key work, the crucial area of the work is done in the small groups. Of course, at a certain point, the plenary in which the women 
religious do not as such vote uh, is uh, is the one which decides which proposals go forward or not. But the the real core work is done in the groups. And there the women will be uh, will play a big role, I suspect. Um, if our listeners are interested in learning more about this question of women voting at synods, I will link to an analysis that I wrote during the last synod uh, in the show notes. And also stay tuned at America Magazine. Uh, we're going to have ongoing coverage of the Amazon Synod from Jerry and from uh, Jesuit Luke Hansen uh, throughout that synod and also here on Inside the Vatican. So for our second story today, the German Bishops' Conference is planning an interesting-sounding gathering in response to the sexual abuse crisis in that country. They're calling this a synodal journey, and it will be a gathering of bishops and lay leaders with the idea that the bishops would not be the only ones who have decision-making power there. The organizers intend to focus on subjects like power and authority in the church, sexual morality, the priesthood, including mandatory celibacy, and the role of women in the church, which includes the possibility of expanding their roles in ministry. And this has led to some controversy. One prominent theologian who was supposed to participate in the event said that she won't because she believes that the organizers are too focused on women's ordination. And there's been some back and forth between the German bishops and the Vatican, with the Vatican saying that this body can't make binding decisions about issues that affect the church outside Germany. So the final form this is going to take remains to be seen. Cherry, I know there's a lot to talk about here, and not everything is known yet, but let's lay out the basics. Why is this called a synodal journey and not a synod? I think the German bishops are insistent, as at least I understand, that they don't want to be boxed into the canon law framework of what a synod is. They wanted something a little broader, perhaps something a little more original, where the lay people and the bishops, they discuss together, they talk together, they reflect together, they pray together on issues that they have identified, also in the wake of the abuse question, as of importance to the German Catholic faithful. Jerry, how does this connect to the idea that Pope Francis talks about a lot about uh, synodality? Is this connected to that? The reality is that uh, uh, the pontificate of Pope Francis has, in fact, sparked, opened up the possibility for such discussions. Uh, In previous times, it would not have been easy for the local church. In fact, it might have been impossible for the local church to speak so freely and discuss so freely. And Cardinal Marx has been very clear, he's the president of the Bishops' Conference, that he rejects these assertions by some of the Catholic media, particularly in the United States, but also in some other places, which says, you know, they're moving to schism. And he, he says very clearly, there's not one single bishop that is even thinking of separating himself from Pope Francis or the church. But we, we feel that if people want to discuss questions, we should be able to discuss them. And uh, uh, and Francis, of course, has made this a point in the synod. He says, you know, there's no taboo subjects. You say what you have in your heart. Speak frankly. But Remember that there's a, a Francis wrote a letter to the German bishops, and when he, which he reminded them, two things. First of all, they mustn't forget that they are part of the universal church, 
and that there's a sense of the faith of the universal church that must be taken into consideration. And secondly, that you don't resolve problems by just structural changes. He, he said this in the Vatican. He said, I can change, make all the structural changes I wish, but if the mentality, if the culture, if the way of thinking doesn't change, uh, if really the, the spiritual depth doesn't emerge, we will be back to square one. So he, he's made it possible for the German church to have such open discussion. Now, this has upset some people in the Vatican. They feel the German church may be uh, raising questions, maybe you mentioned earlier, uh, pushing for women's ordination. My opinion is that is not where they are going. Yes, there were some who think this, some who said it. Uh, under John Paul II, this question wasn't supposed to be discussed at the end. The question was closed. But still, in many parts of the world, people discuss it. So uh, the German bishops say, well, if people insist on discussing, let's discuss it. But let's discuss it within the climate of knowing that we're part of the universal church. So you know, obviously a lot of the specifics on this uh, are vague because this type of thing has never been done before. But what would you say that the organizers are trying to achieve with this type of discussion? Remember that in, in the programmatic document of Pope Francis, the first one he wrote less than six months after becoming Pope, he, he had it finished in the August. He was ex elected in the March. Uh, the joy of the gospel. F Francis said, we have to look at the structures we have. We have to look at our way of doing things, our way of dealing with people, and see really if this is helping people to come close to Christ. And th th that's the benchmark. If it's not, well, let's explore some other ways. And the German church is obviously conscious that, uh, like across Europe, there's a certain lack of energy in, in many places. There some people leaving the church, some people not attending church services regularly, and, and, and they feel the need, the German bishops, but also the lay people feel the need to reawaken, to revive, to reform the church within so that you, the church again begins to be a missionary church, like Francis says, and reaching out to people. I think it, this, in, in a way, I, I believe, you know, this is what's happening also in the Amazon Synod. They're looking and they're saying, we've been carrying out our ministry in this region for centuries. Uh, what are the results? Are, are we really dealing with the problems? Are we with the people in their struggles today? And this is the purpose of the Synod, to say, how do we accompany the indigenous peoples of the Amazon? to do it. And the German bishops and their lay leaders are saying, how do we accompany our faithful? So you're drawing some parallels between the Amazon Synod and the German meeting, the synodal journey, but obviously one is a synod and one is not. So I'm wondering, like, what sets those apart? We have to see exactly uh, how this pans out. We're just at the beginning of this process. The Germans are conscious that they're exploring new ground. And uh, Francis has always encouraged the, the opening up of new ways for, of the church walking together in the given area. Yeah. We must not be hasty in trying to ask, does it fit into this box or does it fit into that box? Let's give it time. I think that, you know, this whole story is super interesting just because of 
how new it is, the fact that this has never happened before. We we don't often get stories about things that have never, ever happened before covering covering the Vatican. Um, this synodal journey that the Germans are planning is planned to begin in Advent, so we will keep our listeners updated on how it pans out here on Inside the Vatican. For our last story this week, uh, the UN is meeting for its Climate Action Summit, where world leaders are discussing what to do about climate change. And Pope Francis, as we know, has been very vocal on this issue. He addressed the group in a video message this week. And in conjunction with the summit, young people all around the world are participating in a number of climate strikes. And Pope Francis has shown support for this type of thing. He met with the 16-year-old climate activist Greta Thunberg, who delivered a scathing speech at the UN this week. She said, you come to young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Um, And in the Pope's own message to the UN, he was really straightforward. He said, world leaders haven't done enough to combat climate change and that the Paris Accord wasn't enough. He says we need to act quickly while the window of opportunity is still open. So, Jerry, the Pope spoke in fairly general terms in this speech. He focused on big picture issues like how climate change disproportionately affects the poor. And I'm wondering, you know, are there definitive, like specific actions that Francis is pushing for on climate change? Or does he see himself in sort of a more morally guiding role with the with the big picture? Well, he, he's specifically saying when you met in, in Paris, you took some commitments but I don't see the political will to implement those commitments. The Pope is quite right. He says we need honesty, we need courage. But are there specific things that he he wants people to do, like specific policies he pushes for? He takes seriously the, the input from the scientists. He said these are the people who've got the knowledge. They're telling us if we continue burning fossil fuels, if we don't control the gas emissions, the temperature in the globe is going to rise. The seas levels are going to rise. Nations are going to disappear. Uh, the Pope had a recent statement on what he's calling the season of creation that I thought was really interesting in which he says, one, that he's supporting these young people and two, that adults need to start listening to them, right? Um, and in that, he called concretely for uh, the world leaders to live up to the minimum goals of the Paris Climate Accord. He, he believes you, you can't just leave such crucial decisions for the life of humanity to the political leaders. Everybody's got to be involved. And this is why his encyclical Laudato Si was so prophetic. Coming 2015, he is recognized in many universities around the world by young students as the one that they, they see as blazing a trail with which they can identify. Yeah, I I always find it really encouraging when the Pope is saying, you know, that it's a good thing for young people to be out there and, and using their voices to speak out against these injustices. Jerry, it's been a great conversation this week. Um, I really appreciate, you know, all the context you were able to give. And I will chat with you next week. Thank you. I look forward to our next discussion and hope our listeners are enjoying it. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at our William J. Loeshirt studio in New York City. Our executive producer is Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Tucker Redding. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Our studio manager is J.R. Kronheim. 
You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For American Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Belly. We'll see you next week.